We're going to be on page 13, starting on page 13 anyway. 13, yep. Go for it. Whoa, front row. That's too close. Yeah. <laughs> Way too close, yep. Well, no, you don't have to go to the back row, though, but... <laughs> yeah, you're a... Good. good. All right. Lindsay, thank you for even coming tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let me pray and we'll jump in to this study. Uh, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the food that we've eaten. Thank you for providing it for us. Thank you for the privilege just to learn together, to grow together tonight. And I pray that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would receive from you tonight what you intend us to receive. Um, Lord, this truth that we're going to be speaking of, the things that we know on the one hand and things we so easily forget or misplace in some way. So help us to learn tonight to, uh, to grow in this and, and to truly uh, gain joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Last week, uh, two weeks ago, we talked to, or I, I don't know, what, I'm not sure what week it was, when we talked about the holiness of God. We started there, that first foundational, like that building block of the holiness of God. And, and so we started there because really we wanted to get to here tonight. We want to like, without an understanding and, and like a growing understanding of the holiness of God, there is, there is not very much need for the good news of the gospel Little to none, in fact, if we don't have a good grasp of God's otherness, his holiness. So we started there, and we, we should never, we'll see tonight, again, we should never move away from that reality of the holiness of God um, and understanding that. It's the way, it's the lens through which um, God has, uh, would you mind shutting the um, uh, music off, Ravi, when you, thanks. Um, it's, it's like the lens to, to understand ourselves. Um, God has, thankfully, God has revealed himself to us in, in a number of ways. And the primary way that, that's overarching and kind of undergirding and, and all the way through every single attribute of God is his holiness. He's perfectly holy. He's, uh, that's, that's a, that's a, a unnecessary double. He is absolutely holy in everything. Remember we talked about holy in, in um, like in his greatness. He is, his, speaks about his greatness and speaking about his goodness. He is perfectly great above all other things, people, creation, everything. He is the creator. He is the, he's the one who is above everything. And then he's also perfectly good. And so these two things uh, are the, the, the truths that we live in. Um, that's how he's revealed himself. Now, is he, is he only holy? Well, no, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's more than that. It's just that his holiness um, engages with every other aspect that he's revealed himself as. So, um, so don't move away from the holiness of God. Uh, matter of fact, I would say that for us to understand what we're going to be talking about tonight and, and to continue to grow in our understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to dwell in, uh, in aspects of his holiness to recognize 
what it is that we need the gospel for. So, uh, his holiness. Then last week was con- the conviction of and repentance from sin. And, and uh, Austin spoke on that, and, and that's in the building block too. And just this sense of when you, it, how Isaiah spoke about, like when he saw the holiness of God, his response was what? Woe is me. I'm, a, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's just this recognition. He, he gets an accurate view of himself. He is as good of a man as he might be, compared to the holiness of God, he's a man of unclean lips. He's, he's not holy. He's not acceptable. He's, he's, he needs cleansing. He needs, there's that, you know, as, as pure as we might see something now, like as pure as the driven snow, kind of that kind of picture of how beautiful and how white that is, it pales in comparison to the beauty of the dazzling brightness of God. Um, God is absolutely, immensely, infinitely holy, and we simply are not. Even in our good deeds, we, we're, uh, just say, we're unacceptable to God. We, we cannot enter into his presence. We cannot see God and live. We cannot, we, we cannot approach the throne. Uh, we, they, they couldn't approach the mountain back in the day, right? They couldn't approach the mountain of God lest God break out on them. That that's the that that's stuff that we maybe don't like talking about, or like it seems like God's like just this angry tyrant kind of, but it's His holiness, it's who He is, and so when we have a problem with it, it's really like what what Joy and I have talked about many times is like we have a we have an issue with understanding God's holiness. We don't quite quite grasp it, so we we don't understand why certain things are true about us and about. God's wrath and the, the judgment in the end and all of that because we don't have a good grasp of the holiness of God. So there's, there's that, then, but, but then, then the conviction and repentance from sin. So it calls us to repent. And, and, and uh, you know, one thing that wanted to really just remind ourselves of is the conviction of and repentance from sin is specifically a gift. They're gifts from the Holy Spirit. Gifts from God Himself. Uh, no man seeks God. No man repents uh, on their own. No man feels convicted. They have some sort of remorse about the effects of their sin against humanity. Uh, but unless they have a good view of God's holiness, a growing view of God's holiness, unless they've been given eyes to see, there's nothing to nothing to be convicted about. There's nothing to repent of. Why repent if you don't have a good understanding of the holiness of God? And actually, your sins have consequences. Um, you're falling short of the holiness of God, the glory of God. So the only, the only ones that really truly know that are the ones whom the Spirit has acted upon to regenerate hearts and to give us an understanding of the holiness of God. That we might, and a desire to actually repent, a, a, a felt need to repent. So if you've repented, like, it's not like, hey, good on you. It's, it's God has been so gracious, so merciful. Um, to give you the gift of repentance, eyes to see. God has been, he did not have to do a lick of anything. Could have just judged you. But he, but he chose instead to, to walk mercifully with you and with me. And um, that causes us to, to lift our hands and worship and praise, to be thankful people. Um, 
uh, every good gift uh, and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He, he is the one who gives us this. So we enter into this, this um, subject tonight, this third building block. And so these are building on each other. And again, it doesn't mean that we are past the holiness of God. It doesn't mean that we're past repentance and we're on to something better and, and more, more wonderful. It's that, it's that what we come to today, it, 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 it's, um, it's on account of these first two building blocks that this, this one is absolutely remarkable. A daily embracing of the gospel. Christians, each one of you, each myself, we have to, we require um, the gospel, the good news. That, that we sing like, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's a nice song. It might be something nostalgic to people. It is our absolute hope. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Any other solid rock does not do. The solid, you, you're not a solid rock. I'm not a solid rock. You can't trust me to be your savior. You, I can't trust you to be my savior. I, I can't, we, none of us can trust anything else, but on Christ, he's the solid rock. He's the one. So why? Why is that true? If we're left at conviction and repentance from sin, um, if we're just sitting in that, the holiness of God and just repentance and sin, then we, we would be the most miserable of people, I think. Just sitting in like, man, I stink all the time. There's, there's like nothing good. I, I, I'm nothing good. I I have nothing good. I am nothing good. Um, God is merciful with me, but like I don't know why, and I just, I just am terrible, and I, I don't like I don't know if I'm accepted by God half the time. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. It's, you know, we can go down that road, uh, but we wonder if like so we hear things like you know, hey, you're accepted in the beloved, and you're like, yeah, I mean, I think maybe I don't know. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I think so. I mean, I lived pretty good this past week. And we become kind of something that we don't think we are, and that is like a works-based Christian who is vying for God's love somehow. And it, it stinks to live like that. That's not how we're meant to live. Um, and we kind of get stuck in this, this pool of self-degradation, and, and uh, we are the most... Like just like the song, the song Amazing Grace, right, calls us a what? A wretch. Um, if not, like you take that out of context of the, of the whole song and you just pull that out and you say, well, I'm just a wretch. I'm just a wretch. I'm just a wretch. I'm just a wretch. That's all I am. I'm just a wretch. It's not true. You're not just a wretch. You're a child of God who was once a sinner and was once a... to, to to whatever extent, a, a wretch. But you're no longer a wretch. You are actually a, a one who God has pursued. You're one whom God has, has uh, and all the people in the world might, might like ha have significant, well, not might, they have significant wretchedness in certain ways against God's holiness, which is a perfect standard, right? There's wretchedness that's there. So even among those who are very, very nice people, very, very kind people, there's a hostility is the way God speaks about it, a hostility against him. So it's a, it's a, there's a wretchedness piece to it. And, um, but amazing grace is far beyond just that saved a wretch like me. You know, it's, a, it's just wondering about God's mercy. Now, no questioning, one like, how? How can that be the case? So um, 
We, we simply have, if you have your books, turn to page 13. If you didn't bring your books, make sure you bring them next week, or, or, or I can make you new ones. Um, um, we have a natural drift towards performance. We just, we just do. We, 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 cling, cling, we see the conviction and repentance from sin, and we're like, okay, that's good. That's a gift. It's, it's like and we need to walk in that, uh, uh, that wonderful gift uh, each day, really being aware of those things. This is the spirit is pointing those things out, causing us to see Christ and and his whole and God's holiness and and to walk in that way. But but what that can if if we're not careful, um, we can start walking in in just um, you know that that performance way. So we feel good about ourselves when we do well and we feel bad about ourselves when we don't do well. And how often in a day don't you do well? If you're really honest with yourself you know, there's a, there's a lot of not doing well. Um, uh, even in our lack of thinking about God, right? Just this is like, like a sin of omission. Um, just our lack of what we should be doing. It's like there's a, we can think about that. So I didn't even think about God all day. Oh, I'm so, ter- I'm so terrible with it. Is God going to accept me? He's not going to hear my prayers now because I, um, we just have a natural drift towards repent or uh, performance. So, want to consider gospel basics tonight, <clears throat> and run through them, and then have some conversation in small groups and some prayer time together. Um, this this deserves so much more time than than what we're going to give it, obviously. And it's what we preach about like regularly, but it's it really requires uh, th- just just what we're going to talk about here. If I were j- to just walk through it and commentate on it a little bit, it would take us probably an hour, um, but I'm going to try to walk through this in 15 minutes with you, so it's really, uh, it's going to require, like, us to, to really um, focus, and, and, and then do some work afterwards, also. This, this to me, in, in, in this, not just to me, but to God's Word, what we're talking about tonight has to do with the joy that you can experience and the freedom that you can experience or or not if you don't daily embrace the gospel if you don't regularly embrace the good news of Jesus Christ you will be a joyless Christian I'm not saying you won't be a Christian just saying you'll be more aware of your failures be more aware of your questions about like whether or not God accepts you um, and you'll be a dour believer um, so let's think about this. The work of Christ, his perfect obedience. We've talked about that before. Uh, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Um, we could go on and talk about like a, a, a numerous amounts, but I don't think I have to talk you all into the reality that Jesus was perfect. He was, he was um, holy, as God is holy, because he was fully God. Fully man, also tempted in every way we are, but but he never sinned. He never gave in. He never lived a moment as though he did not love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and love his neighbors himself. He he was able to walk in in that reality, and he did that specifically. I mean, that's just an important piece to consider. That Jesus is absolutely holy. Jesus has never sinned. He never he never had a, a foul thought. He never had a misplaced 
affection. He, he was just absolutely perfect. Um, the, on, on the second, on page 14, uh, in the bold, it says, in Jesus' humanity, he was just as holy as he was sitting on his throne. In Isaiah 6, there's the, the, the name of Jesus, um, the name of God there is Sovereign Lord, the Sovereign One, and it's a, it's a name that's also used for Christ, so there's the reality of, of like a picture of, of Jesus really being the one who's trained the train of his robe filled the temple, this, this pre-incarnate Christ, this, this picture of his glory, his holiness. And so as he was sitting on that throne and as he sits on his throne today and as he will sit on his throne for eternity to, 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 uh, to a great extent in his actions in life and, or in his actions in eternity and everything, he walks and breathes and lives in absolute holiness. So he did then when he was li- living here on earth, and he does now as well. Um, satisfaction of God's justice. Um, because God's holy, right, there's, there's, a, there's a, we're not, there's a reality that, like, justice has to be served for, for, for sin against him. He's, he, is, he, is a, he is a king. And so there is, a, when we sin, it is as though uh, we are, to, to whatever extent, committing treason, against the king. To put it in our kind of parlance is that kind of, that's what sin is. It's, it's, it's coming short of the glory of God, right? But, but there's, a, there's a treason kind of aspect to it. Um, and so any king that we understand, if there's treason, there's a, there's, there's a death penalty. There's, it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's, the real, it's the reality. And the way that God has described himself, the way that God has revealed himself, is that his holiness and our sin... Um, those, those two don't mix. And so sin must be dealt with in some manner. Judgment. Some, like, punishment. It has to take place. Justice has to happen. Um, God's justice says there on point two, his justice must be satisfied. God cannot, by his nature, simply pardon. Just simply say, well, you know, we'll let that go. It's, it's against his nature, his, his holiness. It's, it's what is justice must be satisfied. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The, the next verse says, whom, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It was to show God's righteousness, his, his perfectness, his rightness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his rightness, righteousness, at the present time. So they might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, both the just one and the one who justifies. So he's, he's, he, he must be just. And, and yet what we see is that he is also the one who justifies us, justifies his people, um, rather than just simply punishing us, which he would be right to do. So how could the justice of God be satisfied by the death of Jesus for our sins? Um, The propitiation of God's wrath. God, God's, let's talk about that just for a second. There's a, a, like an appeasement element. We don't like the word appeasement, as though our God is kind of like the gods where they need to be appeased, and so you throw them some, some children or whatever to, you know, to satisfy their, their lust for whatever. It's, it's, um, 
it's the satisfaction thing, um, that God's justice has to be satisfied. And so, so we use the word propitiation for that, and it's like under, under that heading it says the propitiation of God's wrath. This is what Jesus has done, propitiated God's wrath. So, so God's wrath for a moment. We, we have to be really careful when we talk about God's wrath. Because it could come across as though, could come across in, in a number of different ways. One, it could be God is just like an angry tyrant, kind of wrathful. Because we consider when we're wrath, when we're filled with wrath, really nothing ever good happens from that, right? We're, we're, we're pretty foul when we're, when we're filled with wrath. Even if we say it's righteous, it's like, there's a good chance, probably not. Um, maybe, maybe it could be, but, but really... You know yourself, really. If you're angry at something, there's there's a like usually, you kind of have oh, just real ugly thoughts. God's wrath is not like that. God's wrath is not like our wrath. God's wrath is holy wrath. It's a perfect wrath. There is no taint of sin in His wrath. As holy God, He is filled with a um, what what the Bible only describes as wrath to try to get us to understand. And so there's passages in Scripture. Turn, turn to 1 Thessalonians 1 for a moment. Um, I'll just read a couple here. I'll just tell you right now, we're not going to be done in seven minutes. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1. Um, let's, let's just... Um, let me just go to verse 9 for a second. Uh, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's, a, there's, there's, there's the word wrath. There's this, this, intense, in, this intense, righteous anger against the impenitent, the, the, the ones who live in absolute sin. And again, it's, it's just so hard to talk about God's wrath because, because we just have a really hard time finding anything good about that because we know what it's like to be treated in wrath, with wrath. But we have to think about it. John 3.36 Turn there for a moment. This will be the last one we look at. There's, there's like, there's a bunch of verses like this, but John 3.36 is one that's significantly clear and gives great um, sobriety when you think about the world that we live in and, and maybe some family members or whoever believes in the Son. Last week I talked about John 1.12 and says... Uh, uh, for any who received him, to believed on his, or believed on him, who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, so whoever believes in the Son, whoever has received the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, connecting receive, believe, and obey, connecting those things together, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the wrath of God remains on one who does not, who. who one who doesn't receive Jesus, who one who believe, doesn't believe on Jesus. There's this wrath, this, this righteous, holy, 
perfect, untainted, just wrath against that person and against their, not just their actions, but, you know, at the way, what, what comes out of our mouth starts, starts here. It's, it's, it's in our, it's in our, in our being. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so propitiation, what Jesus has done in his life and his death, in particular, his death in particular, is that he has satisfied the wrath of God for a certain people. The, those who receive him and those who don't are left under the wrath of God. And he's right either way. And when I mean he's right, I mean he's righteous either way. He's just either way, either by judging or by propitiating um, through, through Christ. So he's, that's the propitiation of God's, the satisfaction. So our issue is because of our sin and rebellion against God, our original communion with God has been disrupted. We, we are out of communion. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Shall fall short. They're under, we're under the wrath of God. We're that that kind of reality. What we deserve is is um, is hell. This is what the Bible says. We deserve judgment. Now, nobody has ever liked that, right? Our culture is not no exception. It's just that the church, for the first time in a number of years, it really like also disregards the the doctrine of hell and questions it and all that. But the reality is that. That, that truth, as hard as it is, and it's super hard to consider, but it's like our, our misrepresentation of eternal hell, the way Jesus speaks about it, um, and punishment, uh, our lack of understanding in that and our, our lack of acceptance in that really stems back to our lack of understanding about the holiness of God. Um, so when we have a hard time with the doctrine of hell, I'm saying, hey, don't wrestle first and foremost with the doctrine of hell. Go, go back to God's holiness and consider God's holiness because you don't have a good grasp of that. It doesn't make doctrine of hell easy to accept or understand. Um, and I'm not saying we need to be like, hell, like hellfire preachers or whatever, but like we have to talk about it. There's, 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 there's no need for deliverance. There's no need for salvation. There's no need for Christ to die if there is no punishment for the sins against holy God. It just doesn't even make, it doesn't make sense. Um, there's disagreement on the length of term in hell and all of that. The reality is Jesus speaks clearly, repeatedly, about it being eternal damnation where the worm does not die. There's that kind of thing. That's hard to grasp, and I'm not saying it should be on the first thing on our lips. I'm saying it, that's, that's the level of holiness. That's the level of holiness and the, le- the, the darkness of our sin, the, what our sin truly deserves. So if you sit in that, if you just talk about that, you just sit in that, then we become like very depressed, you know, very, very sad people. So, but it's what we deserve. And yet, what did God do? 
Um, this is the second to last paragraph on page 14. Even though God is a God of infinite love, he does not show mercy at the expense of his justice. So propitiation is the way that the loving God shows us mercy justly. He, he, what, does he, what does he do? He, he, provides, he provides for us. We can't, we can't make atonement for ourselves. We can't do anything good enough, right enough. We, we, are, we, are, we are too broken. We are... We are as, as, as wonderful of a people as, as there are out there, and I'm sure as, as many of you are and have been, left to yourself, apart from Jesus Christ, you're a broken vessel who disregards God, who has disregarded God, who Bible speaks about as being hostile enemies towards God, and you deserve judgment. That's the truth. So a wretch... We are. Um, but God provides that we may be justly and merciful forgiven and accepted. This is what God does. We can't do it for ourselves. He does this. Why did he do this? Well, because, next page, because it was, it was one, a choice by him, eternal, inf- eternally. I've shared this numerous times from the pulpit, just like God has, and it said this at the beginning, I think, that God has... Uh, purpose from eternity past to redeem a people for himself to dwell with forever. And so, so he, he, what, he, what he does is out of love, originating in love, he propitiates. He, he, he makes satisfaction. Now, if you, when you think about God and you think about wrath and you think about the love like love and kindness, typically people will say God is God the Father is wrathful and Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one who is more kind and loving and gracious. And and I'll just say both things are true, but they don't speak everything about everybody. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, from eternity past and into eternity future, however you can timeline the eternity, all of them filled with love. God demonstrates his love for us. When he says God demonstrates, there always, whenever you see God, really, I mean, you can include Jesus in that for sure, but when they're speaking about God, usually in the Bible, when they use the term like Yahweh, whatever, primarily what what you could what you can infer is God the Father. Now when it comes to Jesus, we've talked about Yahweh, Jesus, you know, said before Abraham was, I am. So he called himself Yahweh also. And uh, and of course we see stuff from Genesis and about him being that that on earth um, as well. But the reality is in this the love of God the Father was made manifest among us. Um, because God didn't God the Father didn't send God the Father. God the Father sent God the Son. It was separate, the same, and it's the Trinity, right? So we're like way over our heads. But it's like, in this, the love of the Father was made manifest among us that the Father sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved the Father, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if you ever hear God is a God of wrath and Jesus is a nice guy, a nice God, and he's the nicer side of God, it's just not true. It's, they're, they're both, they're, they're, they're both, this was, this was a decision that the Trinity made. Jesus obeyed 
And some, like how we understand that, Jesus obeyed the Father in coming, but it was their plan together. Jesus said, before, before even the foundation of the world, yeah, I know we made this, we made this, you know, we made this plan. Can, can the cup please pass for me? Is there any other way? Because he's fully human, right? And he just was not looking forward to what he was going to have to go through. Anyway, so God shows his love for us. Now, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, now we could just keep going further and further. Jesus said to Peter, last, the last uh, 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 scripture passage there, um, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath, Peter. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This, uh, so, so what you see is God's, God the Father's wrath, but you also see God the Father's love, both things. And so it's his propitiation, the, what he did on the cross, as we're going to see, he, he did because God the Father loves. Loves. God the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, loves. So propitiates, he the word propitiation, again, satisfaction. The expiation of our sins is the removal of our guilt, the taking away of our guilt. And, and the, the kind, the, they're so together. Uh, sins, our sins are expiated. So when Jesus dies for us, he takes on our sin, and our sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. They're removed from us. As far as the east is from the west, they're, they're, they're all, all gone. He, he, he does not remember them anymore. Um, chooses in his omniscience to not remember them anymore and, and really not hold us accountable for them anymore because Jesus took them all on. And in that work of expiation, that work of removing them, we are propitiated. God is satisfied. God's like, it's done. It's like t- my, my tattoo here says, to die. That it is finished. It's, it's not just like my life's done. It's, no, that the work has been accomplished. It is finished. What work? Propitiation. Expiation. These are gl- glorious, glorious truths. Now, how often did those thoughts come to you today as you walk through the day? I'm not talking about propi- the word propitiation, the word expiation, but just, just that element of God's holiness as justice, our deserving of hell and and the propitiating work, the expiating work of Jesus on our behalf. Where does our joy come from? Typically circumstances. A deeper joy, a more satisfying joy, a more, a more regular joy is the joy of knowing this. Being, not just knowing it, but, but having, knowing that, knowing that this truth is that my sins are gone. My the sins that should, have, that should have sentenced me to hell, they were paid for. They were removed. They, God's righteous, perfect, just wrath against my sin, and, and, and not as though my sin is somehow separate from me, but against, against me, um, was removed as it was placed on Jesus in my place. Um. So some, some verses to memorize this week uh, are, are on page uh, 16. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you, O Lord, shall mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, that you may be feared. Uh, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Um, uh, Isaiah 43, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will, remember, I will not remember your sins. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the, in the iniquity of us all. He's, we, there's, there's this transfer that's taken place, and that, that's, that's where we're going to go here in a moment. When we receive and believe in Jesus, um, the application and effect of Jesus' work is that we're justified. We are, we are made righteous. We are declared righteous before God. Do you feel righteous? You... you, you in yourself, you should not feel righteous. Did, have we loved the Lord our God with all our soul, all our mind, all our strength today? Have we loved our neighbor as ourselves? That's not even getting into the nitty-gritty of, of, of lying and, and cheating or, or uh, lusting or greed or whatever. It's just those things and things we don't do as much as things we do. We're, 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 we, we feel our sin. We feel like that. So, so, but what's the truth about us is that we have been made right. We have been declared because of Christ's sacrifice, because we have received his work on the cross, because we have believed on his work on the cross, we have been declared righteous by the one that we have to be declared righteous by, and that is God. You can't declare yourself righteous. I can't declare you righteous. Nobody can declare you righteous, but God declares righteous, and that's exactly what he did for you when you receive and believe on Jesus particularly. Um, uh, Charles Hodge says, says this. It's the bigger uh, paragraph. There's probably no passage in Scripture. The passage is for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become right, the righteousness of God. Um, he says, there's probably no passage in the scriptures in which the doctrine of justification is more concisely or clearly stated than this. Our sins were imputed, that is, laid on or transferred to Christ, and his righteousness is transferred, imputed, moved upon us. He bore our sins, we're clothed in his righteousness. You see, see the, the transfer? I know we've talked about this before, but we just tend to not live in the good of this. Our sins were the judicial ground of the sufferings of Christ. As so we sing songs like... Um, how, how, deep, how deep the Father's love is for us, right? It should have been my, 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 I should have been the one hanging there. But Jesus suffered in my place so that they were a satisfaction of justice, uh, this judicial ground of the sufferings of Christ. Those sufferings of Christ were a satisfaction of justice. And his righteousness is the judicial ground of our acceptance with God so that our pardon is an act of justice. So when we receive Christ's righteousness, we, lay, we, we happily lay our sins on Christ. Sins are removed, expiated, we're propiti God's propitiated, his anger is propitiated. But it's not just that. It's, that, it's that all of Christ's righteous works, everything he did, and he, how did he do it? He did everything. He lived absolutely perfectly. Holy is, God is holy, he's God. He, he lived perfectly, without sin. He took on our sin, but like, what was transferred to him was our sin. What was transferred to us was his righteousness. Now, um, I don't even know how you can get deeper than that and trying to grasp that. God declared us just, righteous, holy. So like when we come on Sunday morning, we come before the throne of God. We come to pray we are approaching the throne of God how do we do that not on our own righteousness we come with a foreign righteousness a righteousness that is not ours is Christ's righteousness but in union with him it is as though it's ours um, 
just a picture of this is Galatians 2.20, uh, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, was he crucified with Christ? He was not crucified with Christ. So what's he talking about? He's talking about this imputation. I, it's as though I was, it's so, it's so real. It's as though, it's, it's so transferred, so really that I, it's as though I was crucified. But it was Jesus who was crucified, you know, um, in my place. Um, all right, let's go to the next page. We'll jump through a couple of things real quick here. Um, yeah, I, the next page speaks about union with Christ. Uh, everybody is in everybody in the world is either is is in union with one of two people from the past. Um, either they're in union with with Adam, and so are living in living in that sin and in in just as as part of the human race, or those who are in Christ, those who are in union with Christ uh, by faith. Uh, trusting in Christ, standing on Christ as a solid rock, living in uh, the joy of having our sins forgiven, and that uh, He was in our, He stood in our place, and all that. So, so it's one of the two. Uh, so the question that I have there is, who's going to be your legal representation before God? Who who is who is your legal representation before God? Because you have two choices. One is Adam, and one is Jesus. And I'm just saying, you don't want Adam. Um, you, 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 you must have Jesus. And that's who we do have. And so um, the present reality of justification about embracing the gospel each day is this reality that, that I've grown to just love so much, even like more so than justification, even though being just, declared righteous, is absolutely necessary, but a, uh, and brought into a new kingdom, kingdom from darkness to kingdom of light and brought into that new kingdom. We have a new citizenship and all that kind of thing. But, you know, citizenry is one thing, but how about adoption? You know, how about that we've been made children of God, sons of God, daughters of God? We, we, we've been brought into the family. So it's not just as though you've been set free, delivered, but you've been made a son. If you've ever seen Ben-Hur, the movie, and, and like Ben-Hur... Um, uh, gets redeemed, and but he's not just redeemed in the picture, in the movie, or in the book. He's, he's, um, uh, he, you know, he, he. I mean, his story is not exactly equal, but he, he's not just like declared uh, forgiven of his um, penalties of what he was in the in the um, criminal's boat for. Not just, not just um, freed from that, but he was made the son of, I forget who it was, a senator or something like that. It's just like we've been made sons. We're now heirs of the kingdom. Uh, that's, that's the picture. Justification, that reality that, that we're declared righteous so we can approach the throne of God all the time. We can, we can feel absolutely forgiven even though we know that we walk in some element of sin. I mean, and we're repenting. We're repenting of the sin. I'm not talking about unrepentant, ongoing unrepentant sin. That. The only, that, the only thing that proves is that you might not very well be part of the citizen. You might not be a son. If you're just living in unrepent, like, I don't care. But we walk in some element of sin in our life, right? If we say we're without sin, we make ourselves to be liars. But listen, we are sons of God. We are daughters of God. Not based on our ability to do much right, but on, based on the ability of all that Christ has accomplished for us. 
that he lived a perfect life in our place, that he died in our place. And so we have been in trust, in receiving him, in believing on him, we have been uh, declared righteous and we've been made sons and daughters. And I'm just saying, if, if you and I, if Christians around this world would fixate on this reality, um, that there would be great joy among Christians. We talked on Sunday about the presence of God. We're talk about it again. It brings living in the light of Christ. Uh, this week we're talking about peace. So we're looking for shalom. Shalom meaning perfect peace. Oneness with God. Um, uh, you think about heaven. Uh, one of the pictures that I'll, I'll bring out is a, is a picture, is from Isaiah 11, but a picture of the lamb and the lion sleeping together and the they're like, they're, they're just, there's so much peace there that, um, you know, it's a beautiful place of rest. Uh, that one day in the future uh, is absolutely promised to you, but there is a shalom to be experienced today, and that shalom, that rest that we long for, and we're looking all over the place for it and different things and crying, clamoring for it, it's right before our eyes in the gospel. So each and every day, we embrace the gospel. We take in the good news of Christ. We might be studying other, other things along the way and deeper, but if they don't drive us back to this reality, this truth, it's really just head knowledge. If it points you to seeing the holiness of God and it causes you to bow on your knees and, and, and in, in, in repentance and he lifts your head and says, hey, don't forget the gospel, <laughs> you know, you, you, are, you are no longer trying to work anything out. You're, 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 yes, you're, you're working in obedience. You're, you're, you're working hard in obedience, but, but I'm, I'm the one who's promised to, to complete the work in you, so trust me. Um, you're justified. You're adopted. And so recognizing that each and every, every day. So what I'd like you to do is go into your small groups for, or just, just smaller groups, whatever, and I want you to, um, you know, you can answer one two or three of these questions. You ready to write them down? They won't be up, up here. Um, I was talking about uh, joy in our life, and, um, and what I mean by that, again, is not, is not a circumstantial happiness. I'm talking about a deep spiritual contentment and joy. Um, So identify and describe an area of your life where you sense a lack of that, a lack of deep spiritual joy. Be able to maybe share that with one another. Um, and, uh, and when you think about why you've lost that joy, maybe just describe, like, what, what do you, why do you think you've lost that joy? Or it seems hard to. That, that would probably take you all the time. But let me give you two more questions just to think about this week even. These, these questions, too, are specifically from a book that I really, we, Joy and I really enjoy. Um, and uh, that's, that's called Sonship. And would commend to you um, as a study. Uh, reflect on your life honestly. Do you live as though you really believe God approves of you? 
and try to explain that. Do you think that God, do you live as though you believe that God really truly approves of you and explain both positive and negative example of that? Um, if, you, if, you, if you can think about both of those things and spend some time thinking about that, whether it's in this small group time or whether it's, whether it's in a uh, uh, time when you're just thinking and processing these things. Um, uh, thirdly, where do you think power for spiritual transformation comes from? You want to change. You want to, you want to grow. You want to become more like Christ. Where do you think that comes from? And, um, and then how do we access that power? And there can be more than one answer. But, but, uh, um, but think about the study that we had tonight and consider that... Um, what if, what if the power for living a transformed life is something different than you thought it was based on what we talked about tonight? It's, it's kind of what I'm saying. I'm give, kind of giving you the answer here. Because, I mean, it's obviously the Holy Spirit, right? The, the, in, the, in the depths. But what's the Holy Spirit causing us to remember? What's he, what's he calling us to, to look at but Christ Jesus and him crucified in our place? Lord, thank you for uh, these truths and for so much that more that could have been said. I, I pray that you would um, uh, take take what I've said and, and just help help to remove that which is not useful and and to cause what is useful to go deep by your Spirit. I pray that you'd help us now as we just discuss and pray together in Jesus' name.